If you have your Bibles today, and I hope you do, let's turn to the Gospel of John, the 8th chapter. John, the 8th chapter. This is going to be a very familiar story uh, when you get there. John, the 8th chapter. We'll begin reading here in a minute. Now, this particular passage that we're going to look at today out of the 8th chapter of John, this, pa- this passage is all about God's grace and God's forgiveness. Uh, and as I said, this is going to be very familiar to you when we get there. But this, this little story we're going to look at today is a classic example of how Christ's forgiveness works for each and every one of us. And over the years, I, I have preached, I, I wouldn't even venture to guess how many sermons I've preached on the subject of forgiveness. Uh, but inevitably, it seems like every time that I preach about forgiveness, somebody the same day, possibly the following week, will come and talk about how hard it is to forgive someone that has wronged How many of y'all have ever said, I may forget, but I'll never forget? We're, we're all guilty of that. But here's the thing. If you're, if, if you're not willing to forget, how can you forgive? And, and, and this is the other thing. How can you ask Jesus to forgive you if you're not willing to forgive somebody? So you think about that. And, and you know, or someone else may come up and say that... that the things that they have done in their life, they believe is so bad that it's unforgivable. I don't agree with that. But what I want you to think about is this. There is a lot of people that live under that heavy burden of guilt and shame every day of their life. They either cannot forgive someone Or they think they've done something that is so bad that it is unforgivable. And maybe you fall into that category today. Maybe there is someone who has wronged you. Maybe you have wronged someone. Maybe there is something that you have done that it seems like you can't get out from under. You can't get past it. But the good news that I share with each of these persons is the same good news that is available to each and every one of us. And we're going to look at that here in just a minute. Because Jesus came to to forgive and to give grace to all that will trust Him. Alright, are you all in the 8th chapter of John? I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. 8th chapter of John, verse 1. Jesus went up unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning He came again into the temple, and all the people came unto Him, and He sat down and taught them. Let me stop there for just a second. You notice in verse 2 there, it says, and early in the morning He came again to the temple. If you go back to the previous chapter, Chapter 7, 
you will see this was during the time of the, the Jewish feast of the tabernacle. And Jesus did not even want to go into Judea. But He finally did. And He went into the tabernacle and taught. And, and, and you realize that when it comes down to Jesus, every since Jesus has been around, He has caused division. And the reason I say that is you're either for Him or you are against Him. And so He caused division among the people. Now y'all can read as well as I can, so y'all go back and y'all, y'all look at chapter 7 and study it because you will see that, that because of that, that got the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious rulers, thinking. Now back to where we was, uh, we see in verse 2, and early in the morning He came again the next day after chapter 7. And all the people came unto Him and He sat down and taught them And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken. That word taken means caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that word tempting is testing, that they may have to accuse him or grounds to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself or raised up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast the stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted of their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Pay attention, woman, where are those thine accusers? Have no man condemned thee? Notice that's two very important questions. She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now, I want you to keep your Bibles open right there. And we're we're going to go look at some other Scriptures. So you may want to put you a bookmark there. But let me visit with you today about thankful for God's grace and Forgiveness. Now, when we look there in verse 1, we see that Jesus got up early in the morning and, and went up into the Mount of Olives. I'm sure He went up there to pray. And, and, you, you, and as I kind of said earlier, if you go back and study chapter 7, you will see that, that Jesus boldly declared some truths about the Feast of the Tabernacles in Jerusalem. And what he declared stirred up the religious leaders. It it got their undivided attention. Now, we see that Jesus goes back, chapter 8, where we are today. He goes back again in the wee hours of the morning into the temple. And all the people were coming to him. So what does Jesus do? He does what he does best. He sits down and he starts teaching them. Now, 
The religious leaders thought this was the prime opportunity to, to put Jesus on the spot. So they bring Jesus, this woman, that has been caught in the very act of adultery. Now, let's not just read over that too quickly. Let's not just read through that and just kind of blow it off. They didn't bring her to Jesus to find out if she was guilty or innocent. She was guilty. It says she was caught in the very act. There's no denying that she was guilty. Uh, None whatsoever. But one interesting thing, and maybe if you read through that, I mean, this is very familiar, but sometimes when we're studying in the Bible, we read through things and we just kind of blow right past it. Or right through it. And you notice it says, they brought the woman. My question is, where's the man? The last time I checked, it still takes two to tango. So where is the man in this equation? So that should be a tip that something's up. That should tell us that something is, is, is going on. Because in the law of Moses, if you go all the way back to Deuteronomy, I think is where you find it. In the law of Moses, it, it called for both guilty people to be stoned. Now, but in this instance, they've only brought the woman. So what are they up to? What are they trying to pull off here? You know, the, that, that's the first interesting thing that I find that, that kind of jumped off. You know, that's kind of an indication that, that they were more interested in testing Jesus than they were in keeping the law. Now, do, do you see it? Do you see what's going on here? They were clearly more concerned with wiping out Jesus, Jesus being the Messiah, than they were with wiping out sin. Their sin or this woman's sin. Now, they were trying to test Jesus. You know, I never really did like tests. I don't mind telling you all, when I was in school, I was not the top student. I wasn't even... Well, not near the bottom student would be more. But I never liked tests. Especially those, uh, what they call them, midterms and finals. Because, you know, midterms, you, you start the year off and you're halfway done. So you just got to remember that part. But when you get to finals, that, that's the end of the year. You're wanting to get out of this place. Go get in the swimming hole. You know, and have a good time, eat watermelon in there. You're not, you know, and you gotta recall what your teacher told you on the second day of school. You you have you know, and now we get these kids these things called star test. Heaven help me. If you haven't been involved in that, good Lord run from it. Trust me, I got a thirteen year old. But 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 the point is there was a lot of pressure involved. Well, these Pharisees waited until Jesus was teaching. It had a crowd. Had a crowd around him. And, and you know, and, and then they sprung this pop quiz, if you will, on him. In other words, they were setting him up. And, and, and all of this was simply to discredit him, Roy. 
if they possibly could. That, that's what they had alternative motive here. Again, they weren't so much interested in the sin that had been committed as they were in disproving that Jesus was really the Son of God, the Messiah. So they bring this woman caught in adultery to Jesus and they ask Him, in the law, Moses commands us to stone such a woman. What do you think about that, old boy? Well, what's your answer to this, Jesus? Now, let's do some, let's have some fun. I want y'all to play Jesus for me. Now, I know that's not easy, but I want you to be Jesus. They brought this woman to you and said she's been caught in the very act of sin. The law says we're supposed to stone her. What do you think about that? What what are you going to say? What are you going to do? You're Jesus now. What, What are you going to do? See, the easiest thing for Jesus to do would have been to just refuse to answer the question and say, I don't really think I need to get involved with this. This is really none of my concern. This is none of my business. Or he could have just affirmed what the Scripture says, the truth of the Scripture, and moved on, leaving this woman to face the consequences of her sin. In other words, he could have took the mentality, well, you got yourself into this, why don't you just get yourself out? How many times have we been guilty of doing that? You was a big enough boy to get yourself into it, be a big enough boy to get yourself out of it. But he didn't do that, did he? Why? Why? Because Jesus is full of compassion. And Jesus is full of grace. Jesus loved this woman. He knew exactly what these guys were up to. He knew it beyond the shadow of a doubt. He knew she was guilty, but he refused to leave her all by herself at one of her worst moments. Now you may be sitting there today thinking to yourself, well, I would never do anything like that. My first question to you today is, What makes you think you're better than this woman in this story? You're going to look at me and say, I don't sin. I don't do anything wrong. Be careful. Because we've been studying about this in weeks past. We're all guilty of sin. The Bible tells us in Romans 3.23 for all sin and come short of the glory of God. Maybe it's the word fall. Is that the right word, Sharon? Fall from the glory of God, I think. Something like that. We talked about that. Remember we talked in the Bible 
When was it? A week or two ago. And we saw that one verse that says, no one, how did it go? No one is, no, not one. Or no, no not none. There was three negatives in that one verse. Y'all remember? So we see that we all sin just like this woman sinned. So, so we're all guilty of breaking the law. Paul told us that in the Bible in the book of Galatians that none of us can keep the whole law. It's unkeepable. None of us are righteous. Every one of us are sinners to the core. In other words, we're rotten. And yet, here's the thing. Jesus chose to die for each one of us knowing that. Jesus chose to die for this woman knowing that she was guilty. In other words, the righteous dying for the unrighteous. So, this test, if you will, was to put Jesus on the spot. If if Jesus said they should stone this guilty woman, that meant that, that He would be viewed as cruel. And, and, and without mercy. And that would surely turn the people against Him. Remember, they're trying to get rid of Him. If Jesus ignored this woman's blatant sin, then the leaders, the religious leaders could say, well, He has no respect for Scripture. He has no respect for the law. So this seems like the perfect trap. Right? Wrong. In the simplest form, God hates sin. That's the long and the short of it. And so should we. So I want to ask you another question. If you find yourself in the position where you are offended by someone's sin, you're watching the news, reading the newspaper, whatever, and you read about somebody doing something wrong, and you're offended by their sin, have you ever thought that you need to figure out what sin you have that's offensive to God? The Bible tells us, judge not lest you be judged. I should have looked it up. There's a verse with one of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, somewhere in there, that says you need to get the speck out of your eye before you worry about the log in your brother's. In other words, you need to get your act together, get yourself cleaned up before you start trying to sit there acting holier than thou. You know, so ask yourself, what sin do I have that is offensive to God? But here's the thing, by the grace of God, We can go to Him in prayer and repent and seek forgiveness. And that's the way it works. Now, are y'all still got your Bibles open? You notice in verse 6 and 7 it says, Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with His finger. When they persisted in questioning Him, He stood up and said to them, the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. Now that's probably different than what you're reading, but that's just kind of country boy paraphrasing. Now, I can already see it. See, this is the privilege of me getting to preach. I watch all of y'all. Y'all watch me. 
And I can see it right across your forehead right now. And you're sitting there thinking, I wonder what he rolled in the dirt. Anybody want to go out on the limb and take their saw with them and go for it? No. You're just kind of like me. I had a guy come up after Rockwood this morning and he goes, he was doodling. And I said, how do you know he was doodling? He said, well, just how many of them religious leaders would have been there? Now let me back up for a second. A lot of your biblical theologians will say that Jesus started writing down the sins of these religious leaders. And, and, you know, that's one thing you may have heard through the years. But this guy said, no, he's doodling because how, how many of them, we don't know how many religious leaders there was, but there was a bunch of them. He goes, do you know how long it would take him to do that? He was doodling. I'm sure he was doodling. I, I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us what he was doing. But you, you just think, if that was the case, if he was writing the sins of these guys down, it would be real easy to understand why they just dropped their rocks and started leaving when he said, he who was without sin cast the first stone. But the, the, the Scripture, in reality, it does not tell us what Jesus wrote. Something. It, it, and it doesn't matter. Because the sex seems to indicate that the power wasn't in what He was writing on the ground, but in what He said. What did He ask them? Have you ever heard the statement, people that live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones? That's basically what he said to them. He said, if you don't have any sin, then get your rock and pick it up and get busy. And none of them did. None of them did. But you notice they were a persistent bunch. They didn't just ask Him one time. They were like the Energizer Bunny. They just kept on keeping on. And they just kept on asking Him. In other words, they weren't going to leave without a response. No matter what. So this is when Jesus stood up and He gave them the response and it wasn't the response they were waiting for because they thought when He said something they were going to go, aha, we gotcha. But instead of them going gotcha, he went, touche. I've got you. He who has no sin cast the first stone. i got to tell you all a story real quick. Preachers always got stories. And this is a story about a pastor that he's talking about some of the difficulties that just about every church has to go through at some point, at some time. Now, even though the details are not exactly the same in this little story, 
they resemble the overall picture of what we're talking about today a lot. But this pastor was pushing in the church to make some changes. Some changes that he thought was necessary that was going to benefit the growth of the church, the future of the church. And before he started talking to the congregation and bringing up the changes he wanted to make, he had preached to them, painstakingly went through the Scriptures and, and uh, on these issues that he felt like these changes that, that were going to be better would, would align the church more with the biblical mission found in Scripture for the church. So once he had went through all the Scripture and preached to the church about what he was wanting to do, then he brought about his plan to the church leaders in a business meeting. At one point there was a man that wasn't a big fan of change. How many of us like change? Most of us get like an old rambling sheep. We just dig our old heels in and we don't like it. We like getting in our little routine and doing our little thing and if anything disrupts it, we get all bent out of shape. And this guy hated this pastor's idea. He didn't like change at all. So when it came to his time to speak, he made the mistake of using the history of the church as a reason for not doing something that the Bible had made perfectly clear. When the pastor told him graciously that Scripture was more in, uh, important than the church, what the church had done historically, the man blurted out, I don't care what Scripture says. Have you ever opened your mouth and stuck your foot in? Have you ever said something and as soon as you said it, wish, dang, I wish I had that back. You see, that was a very poorly phrased, ill-timed comment. So what did the pastor do? He went back in, went into the Scriptures deeper, showed the congregation what the Scripture says, and then they went ahead and put the plan in place. You see, this man that made this ill-timed comment thought, thought that he was going, because of his viewpoint, was going to turn people to his side when it actually drove people away. Now, that's kind of a similar way what these religious leaders did. They had this plan to trap Jesus and it backfired on them. And instead... You know, you know they, they intended to trap Jesus. They intended to expose this woman's sin. And it blew up in their faith because of the question that He asked them. And so it, it ended up 
exposing their own sin and revealing the grace of Jesus. And I'm so glad that God's grace is greater than our sin. Should have sang that song today, Ann. But now go on. Y'all still got your Bibles open? Verse 8, Then he stooped down again and continued riding in the dirt. When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older man. Only he was left with the woman in the center. Here again, kind of paraphrasing. You know, you can kind of picture this in your mind, can't you, Gerald? You just see the faces of these Pharisees. These, they're just, you know, dead gummit. We thought we had him, you know. The one among you without sin should cast the first stone. Did you notice or did you read right by it? Just flow right to it. When Jesus said that, did you notice that it was the older guys that dropped their rocks first? Did y'all catch that? Did y'all see that? It says it right there. The older ones left first. And then the younger, you know, So we're not told why this is. This is another thing. The Bible just don't tell us. But maybe they were the first to leave because of their life experience. They knew the depth, depth of sin that they had in their own lives. Whatever reason, they dropped their, their stones. They walked away. And we just read that Jesus bent down and started riding in the dirt again. The reality, folks, is that all of us are sinners. Every stinking one of us are. Whether you're the oldest one in here or the youngest, it doesn't matter. We're all sinners. We all share a common plight, and that common plight is sin. And we share a common outcome, and that common outcome is death. We're guilty as this woman caught in this act, and we deserve sin, death for our sin, just like she did. You remember what Romans 6.23 says? For the wages of sin is what? Death. But then it goes on and says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What does that tell us? That tells us that we can choose between two masters. We can choose between sin or Jesus. But we're not free to adjust the consequences of our choice. Each master pays with their kind of currency. So the currency of sin is death. And that is eternal. And all that you can expect or hope for in a life without Christ is death. But Christ also pays with His kind of currency, which is what? Eternal life. It starts now and lasts forever. 
So Jesus knows that. Jesus knows that we're all sinners. He knows we're going to sin. But yet, He lovingly calls us to repent and gives us the opportunity to ask for forgiveness. Now, notice in verse 10 of our text, when Jesus stood up, He said to her, and I told you there's two questions. She says, He says, where are they? Your accusers. And then He asked, has no one condemned you? If you don't have that verse highlighted in your Bible, you need to. Or underline it. Now you notice, it's kind of funny. The right question can be very powerful. The right question can engage us. The right question can draw us in. Force us to reflect. And another way you can look at when Jesus was riding in the dirt, I kind of look at that from the perspective that Jesus was just buying Himself a little time. Do you ever wish you'd have stopped and thought before you spoke? And that's kind of what I think Jesus was like, okay, what do I need to tell these guys to nail them to the wall? So He bought Himself a little time. That's just... That, that's just my response. But the right question has a very powerful impact. How many of y'all watch the show Dallas? Now some of y'all are just embarrassed. They won't raise your hand and say, I watched a nighttime soap opera. I did too. And you remember right after Dallas was Falcon Press. I didn't watch that one either. But I did watch Dallas. Oh, I thought Dallas was just so cool. But y'all remember, y'all remember what the grand finale was that one year? Somebody shot J.R. You see how they sucked us in, didn't they? And what was the topic of conversation for the next seven months? There was folks that sat down and, and, and argued. I mean, there were people that, 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 that discussed this for hours on end. Who shot J.R.? But you see how that, if you watch the show, it impacted us. It, it, it drew us in. So... The Bible also uses that same technique to draw us in. It is full of important questions. And we see Jesus ask two important questions of this woman. We're going to talk about them in a minute. But do you remember Jesus asking the question, Who do you say I am? Have you answered that question? Who do you say Jesus is? Is He really who He said He is? Did He do what He said He did? There's another really good question, and it is, what must I do to be saved? Have you answered that question? To this woman He brought before Him, 
Jesus asked two questions and they had life-changing implications. Life-changing answers. You notice what He says. Woman, where are they? And then He asked, has no one condemned you? You see, this woman was facing death at the hands of the Pharisees. But then Jesus spoke. He didn't say much. He didn't have to. He was kind of like E.F. Hutton. Y'all remember that old TV commercial? When E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. Okay, maybe that's before y'all title them. I remember it. But that's what he did. They were powerful words. So Jesus pointed to a great truth for this woman. In other words, he says, woman, where are they? He's saying, your accusers are gone. And that's the reason why I told you if you don't have that voice verse underlined in your Bible or highlighted, whatever, you need to do so because this is a good verse in the Bible to remind each one of us of the freedom that we have from sin that is offered by Christ. And then what does she say in verse 11? No one, Lord, she answered. And then what does Jesus say? Pay attention. Neither do I condemn you. And then he said what? Go and sin no more. Now did you, did you catch it? Or did you just read right through that and not get it? Did you get it? Now, I want to ask you a couple of questions. And I want you to think about this. Goodness gracious, for sake's life, don't answer. I don't try to embarrass you. But is guilt dragging you down? Is guilt draining your energy? Is something that you have done to someone or something that you have done in your past haunting you? causing you to question your salvation? Now I want you to think about this. It's good to know that in Christ we can turn from sin and walk in freedom. You can be freed today from those guilty feelings. Folks, none of us in here are innocent. I would almost venture to dare say that every one of us has got ghosts or skeletons in our closet. But here's the thing. If you've got something that you're thinking about right now, that has happened to you in the past and you just can't get over it. My wife and two daughters would tell me, well, Daddy, you just need to build a bridge and get over it. It's time to turn it over to Jesus. And let it go. 
Don't let it eat you alive and cause you grief. You just simply find you a quiet place, get rid of your cell phone for five minutes, and pray and ask Jesus to forgive you. Now, the crowd in our story has slowly dwindled and each man has left the scene. And here we find this woman all by herself standing alone with Jesus. No longer surrounded by her accusers bringing her sin to everyone's attention. And what does Jesus say? Neither do I condemn you. Have you ever thought about this? Every one of us, every one of us in this room today has an accuser in our life as well. Have you ever thought about that? You know what his name is? His name is Satan. In Hebrew, that name Satan means accuser. In Greek, it means adversary. I want you to turn to Revelation, the 12th chapter, real quick. I've got to wrap this up. Revelation, the 12th chapter. If you can't find that one, folks, goodness gracious. For those of you struggling, it's the last book in the Bible. I want you to look in verse 10. Now, I want you, when we read this verse, I want you to think about what I said, that each one of us has an accuser in our lives. Revelation 12, 10. Y'all got it? Amen? Amen? Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have now come because the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been thrown down. The great news for us folks is we belong to Christ. In other words, we have an advocate. We have an, a defense eternity, attorney. Our advocate, Jesus Christ, stands in our defense. And as we see with Him dealing with this woman, Jesus didn't come to accuse her. Did He? Why? Anybody want to try it? What does John 3.16 say? Come on, that's the most quoted Scripture in the Bible. What does John 3.16 say? Did they get it right, Ted? <laughs> the test of the day is you need to see Grandpa Ted 
after church and you quote that, and He will make sure you quote it right. Okay, but now here comes the, here comes the question. What's the next verse say? Everybody knows John 3.16. What does John 3.17 say? Praise God. She got it. For God did not send His Son into the world to what? Condemn the world. You see what He told her? I condemn you not. But then it goes on to say, but to save the world through Him. Woo, y'all got homework to do. You quote John 3.16, you got to get 17 right in there with it because that's the good one. 16 is really good. 17 is good. But here's the point to all this. we got to wrap this up. We don't repent in order to receive God's grace. Why? Because God's grace is already there for the taking. Notice, notice, look at that verse. Look at verse 11. Back to your text. Go back to John 11. I mean 8. Look in verse 11. Notice that Jesus told the woman she's not condemned before He told her to go and sin no more. Remember I brought that out. Did did you catch that? You see... We repent as we see the gracious gift of Christ applied to our lives. Through grace, we're set free from the law of sin in our lives. Don't turn there, but I'm just going to quote this real quick. Romans 8, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, there is none, therefore there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. That's Romans 8, 1 and 2. So I want to ask you one more question and then I'm going to quit. Do you boldly stand on the grace of Jesus no longer condemned? Or are you struggling with the accuser trying to live under the law of sin? Because Christ is calling us what? He's calling us to embrace the freedom that Christ provides for each one of us. You remember what I told you a while ago? If there's something eating you up, it's time to let it go. We've got to let go of our past. Build that bridge and get over it. Why do I say that? Because that means that we are trusting Jesus completed work on the cross. It doesn't need to be done again. It was done once. Christ was the supreme, ultimate, one and only, 
perfect sacrifice. It doesn't need to be done again. But it doesn't mean that you can't back right up to it and put all this stuff that's weighing you down behind you, put it right there at the foot of that cross and start your life anew and afresh. Stand firm. Stand strong in the face of temptation and simply depend on Jesus to give you the freedom from the power of sin. Let's be thankful for Christ's grace and forgiveness. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank You for loving us, Father. We just thank You so much for Your Son who willingly paid that ultimate price, that ultimate sacrifice and died on that cross. And help us remember, Father, it doesn't need to be done again. And help us, Father, to understand that we can have forgiveness. We have freedom through You when we confess, when we repent and rely on Your grace and mercy. And Father, we just thank You for loving us. We thank You for blessing us. We thank You that we have this church that we can come to and spend time in Your Word. Father, I thank You for these folks that, that, that came today to praise and worship You, Father. And certainly for those not with us, we just pray they're safe, they're okay. Father, we got a lot of folks, a lot of situations in our prayer prayer list and we just ask that You move in each life, Father, that You move in each situation. Father, that You continue to protect each one of us in this very challenging time that we live. Father, we just ask as we leave this place today that You guide and direct our lives, that You watch over us and You care for us. And Father, we ask that You help us be that light in a very dark world. And certainly, Father, I can't pray and I have to ask for some rain that we desperately need that only You can provide. So, Father, again, thank You for the opportunity to worship in Your house. In Your Son's name we pray. Amen.